We're back with another edition of the Behind the You podcast, and I am beyond pleased to be joined with an old friend, Darren Smith. It took me a little while to get him pinned down, but I'm happy to do it. One of the best people you ever meet, Darren. Thank you so much for doing this, buddy. Man, it's, it's my pleasure, J.D. You know, always a pleasure to hang out with you, man. I know. We're going to hang out for a little bit. I got a lot of questions, okay? So before we start, even though this is a pod, not this, I'm really, I'm, I'm testing you right out of the gate, because even though this is a podcast and we can see each other, we're doing the video thing over Zoom, but people are going to hear this. You got a nice little set up in the office we got some memorabilia and collectibles but there's a gold football that earmarks the 50th super bowl and i want you to tell me the backstory on that because there's kind of a cool ending to it and then we'll kind of get into your more of your story so for the 50th super bowl the nfl decided that anybody that ever played in the super bowl gets to get a golden ball I thought that was pretty cool. And I was fortunate to actually play in two Super Bowls, uh, Super Bowl 28 and Super Bowl 30. So they actually shipped the balls to your house in this pretty case right here with the whole, you know, the whole thing. But the great part about it too is actually your high school also receives a ball. So when they ship a ball to your house, they ship a ball to your high school. And the great thing is you get to go out to your school. And I had the opportunity to present one of these golden balls to Coach Heidelberg at Miami Northern Senior High and to the football team. It just, it was great, man, to go back and hang out with those guys. But, you know, it was exciting for them to see, you know, somebody who had made it as far as the Super Bowl come from that program. That's a pretty good deal, the NFL put. I like that. Yeah, that was pretty cool, man. That was pretty special. Now, you brought up two Super Bowls, so that leads me to my first question. If you look and Google your name, and I know a lot about you, but this Mr. Two Rings thing, is that like a real thing? So the two rings being two Super Bowls, two NCAA championships, you're like the only guy to have done that. But like, is Mr. Two Rings a real thing? Like, is that something that has followed you around? It's actually Mr. Triple Double. It's like a basketball term, Mr. Triple Double. I'm the only uh, athlete at Miami to get two degrees because I earned my master's before I was drafted to the Cowboys. And so I got two degrees. I have the bachelor's, the master's. Then I have two national championships at Miami and two Super Bowls. So it's a trip. Actually, it's a quadruple trouble now because I have twins. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I, I come in doubles, bro. I'm blessed. One wife. One wife, though. You know what? Smart choice. So I've had a few people that have gone a little while on this thing. We've done a couple episodes, so maybe we'll make it a, I don't know what, a quintuple? We'll do it a quintuple double, and you can get a couple episodes in. So you got your undergraduate degree in three and a half years. Was that done by choice? Was there a, quote, unquote, a master plan to get two degrees? Absolutely, man. Growing up here in South Florida, honestly, you know, I people told me that I was good at football, but... I always wasn't convinced myself that I was good at football. Not good enough to say, like, go to the NFL. You know, so growing up here in South Florida, I'm the youngest of five kids. I have two older sisters. I have two older brothers. And I grew up in a single household with my mom because my dad passed when I was very young. I was three years old. My dad had passed. And my mom never remarried. So it was just, you know, us six in a house. And the reality is my mom didn't have a lot of money. And so for me, football really was my avenue to get to college. I, I knew I wanted to go to school. My two sisters had went to school and I had a brother that went to college. And so that was my goal to go to college. But I knew we didn't have the money for me to go to college. So football was going to be my avenue to get there. And so when I got to University of Miami, my whole focus was I want to get as much out of this education as I possibly can before they get as much as they can get out of me. But fortunately, JD, man, I got here and Dr. Anna Price, who was the academic advisor at the time, you know, she really took to me like her son. And, you know, I kind of told her my background and my situation, how I wanted to really earn as much education as I can and you know someday in the future have have my own business maybe I told her I wanted to major in business and 
So she was saying, well, you know, we can put together a plan to do that for you. And that's kind of how it worked out. And so me and her put the plan together for the graduating three and a half years uh, and then hopefully have the grades that were good enough to get me into graduate school. But, you know, at that time, Jimmy Johnson was, you know, he recruited me to the University of Miami and he ha he actually had other plans for me. My background was I was a good athlete, but I also ran track and I was really fast. So I ran 100 meters in high school as well as playing offensive line and linebacker. But so Jimmy Jimmy knew I was fast. So his thing was he wanted me to play special teams my freshman year, and I just I just didn't want to waste my year at, as a freshman playing special teams. So I actually fought against that. I was like, no, I want to, I want a red shirt. I asked him to let me red shirt because part of it was I didn't want to waste my time, not necessarily time, but I didn't want to waste a year just doing special teams. But I also wanted to fulfill my master plan of trying to get my, my graduate degree. Did he know that part of the plan? No, he didn't, he didn't know that part. The crazy part is this JD, when he was at Dallas, he's the one that drafted me to Dallas. And so when the draft was coming up, I still had like, I would have like two credits left to get my graduate degree. And he was saying, listen, we draft you, you're going to come here and, you know, you're going to, we're going to have your report early and, you know, do all that rookie stuff. And I was like, well, I got a couple of classes to go to get my graduate degree. So, so we was kind of in that bind twice, but, you know, fortunately it worked out for me and I was able to get the degree and then ship on to Dallas and, and actually start my rookie year. So it worked out perfect. All right, so there's, there's, I got, a, I got a lot to follow up here on. So number one, you said you played offensive line in high school. Yeah, man, I was playing linebacker with number sixty-three. That's horrible. Unless you want to go back to the Lanier days, back in you know Kansas City line, old school linebacker. So what, what position on the offensive line were you? I was a guard and I was center. Let me tell you what happened. Well, when I first went to New Orleans and played JV, you know, football is, is so different then because the year I went to New Orleans was actually the last year that they only had tenth, eleventh, and twelfth graders. Previous to that. I went to middle school, it was 7th, 8th, and ninth was middle school. And so when I went to New Orleans, JV football didn't start until 10th grade. And those coaches really didn't know me. And so they had us doing all of these drills and it just kind of labeled me a lineman. I was like, no, nah, you know, coach, I'm a linebacker. He's like, yeah, yeah, we need you on the line right now at JV. And so I went through that. You know, you play the first six games at line and then you get moved up to varsity. And I said, well, when I go to varsity, then I'm going to get my shot at linebacker because... I'll be done with this JV stuff. And then I get to the varsity and, you know, the first thing he tells me, hey, man, the JV coach said you're a great lineman, you know? So <laughs> so he throws me back on the line, man. So it was frustrating. And then I go to my 11th grade year and, you know, they put me back on the line, actually. And so I was kind of almost accepting my role as a lineman. But one thing they knew about me again they knew I was fast because whenever we would do all the drills, I would outrun all the linemen. I, you know, I was a lot faster than all the I wasn't like a typical lineman. I only weighed maybe 180, 185 pounds. So I was kind of like that guard that does a lot of the trapping, the pulling. I was more of a quick type of lineman than I was a big physical brawler. And so we were playing Miami Springs first game of the year. They had a running back named uh, Darren Hadley. He was he was extremely good running back. And he was just outrunning our linebackers. He was getting on the outside all the time. And all I heard was the coach call my name. And I was looking around because I'm on the bench with the rest of the offensive line. And it, they, one of the guys said, hey, Darren, you know, coach calling you. Come here. So I went to coach and he kind of had a pencil and a paper. He said, listen, I want you to line up here. And he just threw me in that linebacker, line up on the end of this line, and just don't let this guy get outside of you. That was my defensive game plan for my first defensive game ever. So I went in there, man. I didn't know coverages. I didn't know anything. I hadn't practiced. 
And so I went in there and just went crazy, man. I just, hey, wherever the ball go, I went. Ball there, go there. I didn't let him get outside me. One time we had a pass. I didn't know drops and zones and stuff. I just rushed the quarterback, hit him, he fumbled. I picked up the ball, ran it in. It, it was like one of those fairy tale movie type scenes. And so, you know, after that, coach said, hey, man, you're on defense now. And so from that point, I played both ways. I was on offense and defense. I didn't come off the field. So it, it wasn't like I got the dream of just going to play defense. No, they kept me on that line as well. Did anyone actually recruit you as an offensive lineman? No, man. Nobody <laughs> recruited <laughs> I didn't have the size, man. Just didn't have the size. So luckily, man, Jimmy was a speed guy, and he knew that about me. And another blessed situation was Joe Broski was in the Dade County public system for a long, long time, a lot of years. You know, he was a very good coach at Miami Lakes and, you know, uh, Miami Jackson. And so he had a lot of great teams before he got on Jimmy Johnson's staff. And so he was winding down about to retire from the Dade County Public School System. And it just so happened that he had an office at Norland. And so the coach and him kind of talked and he said, hey man, I got a guy, you know, you guys may like. He, you know, he can run real good. He's real active, make a lot of tackles for us. And that's when, um, you know, Joe Broski took a look at me and, you know, they take the film and kind of sat down to talk with me a little bit. And, and uh, he was like, hey, man, what, what do you think are your best games? Right? And at that time, I think Carroll City and, and North Miami were my best games. And so he took that film and he took it down to UM and, and kind of showed it showed it to Jimmy. And it's funny now because I talked with Don Solinger, uh, who was a, a, you know, all-time great coach down in Southridge and a part of that staff as well. He said, he told me, he told me the story. He said, man, Joe was trying to shop you. He was like trying to get anybody to come in and watch, to watch your film. You're like, but nobody would, he's like, nobody would pay attention to you because, you know, like, who, who are you talking about? Oh, that guy, he's a lineman? No, no, no. He plays linebacker too. And so, um, you say it, it took a while for me, man. So I was, I was blessed. You know, I wasn't like my, um, my roommate, Michael Barrow, Who's uh, who everybody was going after, you know, they were, they were willing to wait on him. I was just glad to be there, man. I was glad to get the opportunity. If you hadn't gone to Miami, where do you think you would have gone? Who else was recruiting you? Well, you know, actually, speed counts for a lot of people. So my last five, well, my actual visits were, uh, I went, I visited Syracuse, Tennessee, LSU, Florida State, and Miami. So you were, you were fine by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was good by then. Matter of fact, Miami was my last trip. And previous to going to Miami, I went to Florida State because it would have been either Florida State or Miami. I know I wanted to stay in Florida. The only reason I didn't even look at the University of Florida because they were going on probation that previous year under, uh, I think it was Galen Hall, I think was the coach at that time. And so I didn't want to go somewhere where I couldn't even go to a bowl game. And that was really, because I grew up, actually, I love UM, but I love the, the Florida linebacker. Who's that, like Wilbur Marshall? Will, man, I love Wilbur Marshall. They had Alonzo Johnson. Uh, they had a guy there named Odin. You know, they just, I just, the linebacker play there, to me, was, that's what I loved about University of Florida. I just loved, the, and then when I saw Wilbur Marshall at the Bears, man, I just, i like, see, yeah, that's that tradition right there, you know? But, you know, one thing did, you know, kind of really draw my attention to Miami, too, was Randy Shannon, who went to my high school, went to University of Miami. And he was playing linebacker there as well. So I had a chance. And it's, you know, it's funny because we go way back. He went to New Orleans. I went to New Orleans. But even literally, he played at Scott Lake, Scott Park. And I played at Scott Park growing up. And uh, Randy actually played with my older brother. So I knew Randy a long time just from the neighborhood. And so he was gone, right? By the time you got there? Yeah, he was gone. When I got to high school, he had left already. But even though the same coaches were there, and all they used to say, man, you remind us so much of Randy. You're like a coach on the field and all of that stuff. So we they always knew Randy would be eventually become a coach because he was like that on the field. And so even when I got there, man, he did a great job of coaching us up, the, us young bucks. So did the track, like how fast were you in track? 
Like, were you legit track guy? Yeah, I was legit, man. I was, well, let me tell you that story. Because it kind of the same way with football. Because I was an offensive lineman, in track, I did what offensive linemen are supposed to do. I threw the shot put and I threw the disc. But I was always the smallest shot put in this guy. And so one day we were having a dual meet versus Miami Lakes. And we had a small team. We may have had four sprinters on our team, you know, just enough to do the four by one. But Miami Lakes had like 12. And so the track coach said, well, Darren, why don't you just get in the second heat? Because typically we would only have enough guys to do one heat. But they had so many that they were going to do two heats. So he said, well, since we have two heats, why don't you just get in the second heat just so we'll have somebody else in it? I said, all right. I borrowed somebody else's spikes who, who wore the same size. And I ran and I beat them. And my first thought, I was like, man, them dudes are slow. Because <laughs> I never considered myself, like, super fast. But I think that day I ran, like, an 11 flat, 11-1 uh, or something like that. And the coach was like, man, that's pretty good for, like, for a guy your size. So eventually as I started practicing and really working on it, I got down to, like, 10-7 in the 100 meters. So I was, like, fourth. My senior year, I was, like, fourth in Dade County in 100 meters. We know how Jimmy valued speed. So did that come up in your recruiting? That was the golden ticket for me right there. If you were 11-3 or something like that, we're not coming. Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. 11-3, <laughs> yeah, you got to get under that 11 for him to, you know, because they, you know, Jimmy always valued defensive backs that he can make linebackers. So they kind of looked at me as a, as a strong safety type, but then you can make him a linebacker. And I think Jesse Armstead was that, was that same type of guy, really fast guy, because Jesse was, when I graduated from New Orleans, I did everything I could to gain weight, and I think I still got to 190, 195. And, you know, in today's, man, they, they recruit DBs for that. But Jimmy was like, I'll take him, add maybe, you know, 10 or 15 pounds to him, you know, 10 to 220, 225. That's good enough for me. I just want guys that can really run. So it worked out for me and guys like Jesse. He was just perfect. Even in the NFL, you know, playing for the Cowboys, I mean, like Dixon Edwards was like 220. I was 225. It was all about speed, even in the NFL. And he changed. Jimmy kind of changed the NFL because at that time, when I first went there, the Giants, if you remember, they still had like Lawrence Taylor and Pepper Johnson and Carl Banks, those 6'5", 260 guys. After that, you, you see defenses changing. You know, the they started, everybody started going to the smaller linebackers. That's when you see, especially in Dallas, the Dexter Copley's, the Dat Wins all those guys. And so it became uh, Sims, who was at Florida State. So that became, you know, kind of the normal thing. We want a linebacker that could really run because we need a guy who could who could do just enough, you know, to deal with the linemen. But we got we to gotta be able to cover backs out of the backfield because the game really changed. You would have been a striker in Manny Diaz's defense. Probably, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, I could play. I could have possibly played Will linebacker, but I could have been a striker in Manny Diaz's defense, yeah. Was Jimmy the same in the NFL as he was in college? He was. And I think it was funny to me because I knew what he was like in college. But it was funny to see all these other guys who come from these other colleges have to deal with Jimmy because he was no nonsense. You know, Jimmy liked to coach through kind of intimidation and fear. And it, it didn't matter who he was, whether he was Troy or, or whether you were Emmett, you respected him. Now, one thing he was brutally honest he would tell everybody. Like, I remember one of the things he always told us. He's like, I don't treat everybody the same. You know, and I thought that was interesting because most coaches like, hey, I treat everybody the same. You're all equal in my eyes. He's like, no, I don't, I don't treat everybody the same. He's like, some of you guys are up here and some of you guys are down here. He's like, how do you expect me to treat Troy? How do you expect me to treat a free agent lineman how I treat Troy? That's not going to happen. He say, so if you're a free agent lineman and you're on the bottom of my totem pole, you better watch out. You know, so he was... <laughs> 
did you have some built-in credibility when you got to the NFL, or did he still treat? Did he still? It was cutthroat. No, man, you still had to earn it. You know, you still had to earn it. I remember, um, I, you know, I, you know, I noticed your podcast, so I'll, I'll give a few, you know, few inside stories. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Well, in 1993, that was the first year they actually did the uh, like the international bowl where we flew over to London. And it was a long flight. And when we got off the flight, Jimmy told everybody to go to their rooms, just drop your bags and come back down in about 30 minutes. But me and Kevin Williams, the two UM guys, me and him were drafted second round that year together. We were roommates. We put our bags down. We were just kind of talking and we still had maybe like 15, 20 minutes. And we were kind of laying across the bed talking to each other. And then all of a sudden, some time go by and the phone rings and, you know, I answered it, but we fell asleep. I'm like, oh no, the phone woke us up. And I'm like, Kevin, get up. And then somebody on the phone said, hey, man, we're leaving. So we run downstairs, man. And now and we're in London. We, you know, this is foreign to us. These buses are taking off. They're not waiting for us. So me and Kevin is running down the middle of these cobblestone streets, about to break our ankle because it's not even. We finally jump on the last bus. And it so happened to be the media bus. <laughs> <laughs> so the first four buses were the team bus and the last bus was the media bus and so they're looking at us like i'm like oh lord this is horrible we're strategizing on the bus hey man when we get there just run off the bus real quick try to mingle in with the crowd so like like we were there the whole time so right before you can see the stadium in, in the next corner and the four buses turn and the media bus goes straight i'm like oh <laughs> no <laughs> So by the time we get off the bus, we tried to run real quick to go join our teammates, but he caught, he was waiting. He like, hey, you two come here. And he and he kind of ripped into us pretty good, man. But I, all I can do is be honest. I like, coach, we just, hey, we fell asleep. He said, you guys are supposed to be my guys. He said, I don't care who you are. You mess up again, I'll cut you. I'm like, wow. Yeah, he was, that's how he was, man. And I believed him. What about your fresh, because you only played for one year at UM, right? Yes. As a red shirt. So I don't know, any shrapnel come your way or you just witnessed his fear and intimidation tactics on others? Yeah, it's just, uh, I, I was real quiet. So I was able to kind of just, kind of just see it for my, <laughs> just watch. You know, I, I, I remember uh, it, it, it was a lot. He had a lot of little comments, you know, in particular when you were a freshman. You know, I remember like one guy was he made us run a lot of gassers one day. One of the freshmen was breathing real hard and he was like he had asthma. I'm, I'm not even I don't remember who it was. He was like, man, coach, I'm struggling. I got asthma. And Jimmy was like, well, the asthma field is over there. Take your, you know, you <laughs> <laughs> say take your aid to the asthma field. You know, I was. You know, most guys will feel sorry for him. Hey, you all right? You, you, no, not Jimmy, man. He was like, you know, get out of the way, you know. So, nah, but he was he was funny, man. So to see those guys who came from other teams, you know, kind of come into the fold and, and they were like, man, he crazy. You know, I, I, it was kind of just fun to watch. It was bittersweet almost like when I got drafted by the Cowboys. I was like, yeah, they're winners and, you know, I'm excited. But then I was like, man, I got to do these 110s again. Like, oh, man. <laughs> You mentioned before about choosing Miami or Florida State, right? Kind of that's what it came down to is your last two trips. Gino was on this podcast. You guys were in the same class, were you not? Yes. So he mentioned the weekend he visited for his officials, the championship parade weekend. Was that your weekend or no? No, I didn't get that weekend. Because he was like, it was an automatic. Like, he went for the championship parade. He's like, yeah, this is where I'm signing up. There's no question in my mind. So your official was on a different weekend. Yeah, it was on a different weekend. I didn't, I didn't get the parade. I think my weekend was probably before the parade. Yeah, I think it was before the parade. And it was funny because you know how you go on those trips and the coach on the last day, they would always, they would always bring you into the office and talk to you and try to get a feel. So, so what you're thinking, uh, you know, what you're thinking. So I did that at Florida State. And, uh, you know, I, I was sitting down with Bobby Bowden and 
you know, he was like, hey, man, what, what you think you're going to do? Like, you ready to commit? And I said, well, you know, coach, I got I got one more trip. And um, he, he he knew where it was. He was like, well, you going down to Miami, right? I was like, yeah, I'm a, that was going to be my last trip. He was like, well, I'll tell you what, we've been saving a scholarship for you, but I got to know right now because we got another guy. He said, so you got to let me know right now. If you, if you let me know right now, you, you can't go on that trip to Miami. I was like, man, the pressure. You know, he got a little, uh, what was I at that time? 17? You know, a little 17-year-old kid in the room with Bobby Bowden, you know, facing that type of pressure. But, you know, I hung strong. I said, well, coach, I just, I got to see. I got to see. I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to be honest with him. I couldn't just say, yeah, I'm going to come. And then, um, you know, and Jimmy kind of put that pressure on me, too. So after the visit, even with Miami, I didn't commit immediately. I remember Jimmy Johnson calling me one day. I was at home, and he said, well, Darren, what you going to do? Because he, he basically knew it was either uh, Miami or Florida State. I, I was like, well, Coach, you know, I just I just been thinking about it. And um, he was like, well, what number do you want? I was like, huh? He's like, what number do you want? I was like, well, you know, if I come out, I would, I would want a number in the 50s, maybe like 56 or something like that. He's like, yeah, okay, that's good. We can get that done. So we got off the phone, and the next day in the newspaper, in the Miami Herald, it said, Northern Star commits to University of Miami. Just like that. I mean, he just like that. He just took it as <laughs> you hadn't committed. And then JD, I get there number forty-five. I still didn't get the fifty number. Jimmy Smooth. So wait, you hadn't actually committed, but Jimmy basically had you committed. He basically said I committed. You know what I mean? So he basically he he asked me a, a hypothetical question and made it a reality. He's <laughs> a genius, right? Yeah, I, I guess that's how they do things. But Did you ever think about reneging on that? No, no. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the biggest part was my family. I wanted to play where my family can come and watch me, in particular my mom. So I, I knew in Tallahassee it wouldn't be as easy. You know, especially for, you know, someone we don't have a lot of funds. So it's not like she could just come whenever she wanted to. But she could come to the, to the OB anytime, you know. So that was a big part of Miami, too. But I love UM as well. You know, I, I, you know, I, I really, ever since uh, my brother took me to the, to the 83 National Championship game. Ah, thank you. I, I was going to figure out how I was going to snake into that, but go ahead. Yeah, that was, the, that was my first college game. How did that come to be? My brother just got some tickets or something. I mean, we just sat. got tickets. Wait, just got tickets to the National Championship game. But I don't know how, but I mean, we sat. I think we were probably the top seed in the end zone all <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can actually look toward the back of the, uh, the Orange Bowl to see what's going on in the parking lot. So, I mean, we were we were up there. So, I, I'm not sure how he got them. My brother was, I don't know, he was a sky cap at that time. So, he might have got some kind of deal at there, but I don't know. But he took me to that game and that big upset and the excitement and a guy like Alonzo Highsmith that, you know, he was a freshman to see him play. You know, it just, it just I was like, man, this, this is exciting. And that's what started me on my um, UM my UM journey as far as, you know, really falling in love with the orange and green. So Alonzo Highsmith was a name. I mean, I know he was a name, but for you in the high school community or you were in a high, you were in high school back then, I guess you were a bit admitted. I was young. I was maybe 13 at that time. But he was a name like you knew the name. The reason I knew the name because he was from Miami. You know, that was really the only reason I knew the name because he was from Miami. They kept talking about this freshman from Columbus, you know, who was the defensive player of the year and he's playing fullback. I'm like, who is this guy? And then to see him play so well in that game kind of just... You know, made me like, man, I could be another Miami guy that go there. But then those other guys like Melvin Bratton went there. And and like I see Randy Shannon and Brett Perriman and Tobert Bain. You know, those, when I started seeing all of those guys who were in Miami, it, it encouraged me. You know, I, I started loving Miami because of, you know, the way that they had the Miami guys staying home and playing. The Blades, Benny and Brian, you know, all those guys. There are, there's, a, there's a whole list. So you mentioned before you lost your father when you were really young and your mom then remarried and, and raised all of you. What was it like being in that? Were you the youngest? 
I was the baby. So what was it like being the baby boy? It was funny because my oh, my sister is the oldest. My first sister. She's 10 years older than me. Then my other sister is nine years older than me. Then my older brother is seven years older than me. And then my other brother is six years older than me. So they were all close. And you're by yourself. Yeah. So even though it was a lot of us, I kind of grew up in a sense almost like to myself, you know, because when they were when they were teenagers, they weren't trying to hang around with a, you know, six, six-year-old. Little old Darren, little old Darren. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so I hung out kind of just with my with my friends around the, around the neighborhood. And then when I became a teenager, you know, they were going to school or getting married and moving out the house. And so so for a lot of my, you know, memories, it's just really just me and my mom in a sense. We were together alone. Like when I was in high school, it was just me and my mom at the house. So it was different. And I remember a lot of times just playing football by myself. You know, I would play in the yard, kind of just imaginary football games. And what position did you play then? I guarantee you weren't an offensive lineman. I was everything. <laughs> I would throw the ball on the quarterback. I, I mean, I just would imagine these games in my mind. I would always make the winning catch, JD. So who introduced you to football? Who got you to start who got you to start playing? I was following my brothers. You know, my brothers played. Did they play at Norland too? Actually, they stopped playing after they left Scott Park. My oldest brother, he got in the band. He was a trumpet player. And then my other brother, he didn't he didn't play high school football, even though he was a really good athlete. He didn't play high school football. So I followed those guys. You know, they were so much older than me, but I would always play with them. And we would play in the street. And I would every day I would literally come in the house crying because one of them would always hit me or we had the game where we would play touch in the street and tackle on the grass. But they would always wait for you to get in the grass. <laughs> <laughs> Get a free shot. Yeah, man. So, you know, I was always the little one. You know what I mean? So they always kind of, you know, beat up on me. And my mom would like, well, stop going out there and playing with them. And then, you know, they would always like, hey, come on, man. Come on. They'd always get me back out there. But eventually, J.D., I got bigger than both of them. So, you know, now they, I'm the I'm the big little brother. But I think it helped me, man. It helped me to get a little tougher and to not be intimidated by At that time, they were bigger than me. But I still played just as hard. So. I don't know how this occurred, so I want you to tell me, but basically, basically Big Brothers, Big Sisters became a part of your life. You, you were introduced into that program, and a gentleman by the name of Seymour Marksman, you were matched with him, and he had a huge influence in your life. So going back at who, I assume your mom put you in the program. Did you ever ask why? At the time when my dad passed, I was three, and so my brother was seven and nine, eight and nine. And, uh, my, you know, but the thing was, we were, at that time, we were living in, we were living in Liberty City. We were living in the Scotts Project, which is not a very, you know, it's not an area conducive for, you know, a family of five, especially three boys with a single mom. You know, it's not it's not just the best environment. And so eventually my mom was able to move us and we moved into an area that's now called Miami Gardens. When she moved, she was talking to someone and they, they told her about Big Brother, Big Sister. And they said it might be good for your boys to get involved with that because now all of a sudden she's a mom, but she has to try to be a father also. You know, she had to play that same role to three little boys. And so she got involved with the program. And initially, my two brothers, they got matched with bigs. And so initially, I would kind of hang with them sometimes. I would hang with my brothers and their big brothers. So they would kind of let me tag along from time to time. So you have fun, go, you know, play football or catch or something like that and hang out. And eventually, my turn came to be matched. And I was about nine years old at that time. And I got matched with Seymour. And it was one of those scary moments, man. It, I still remember it to this day, man. I, I remember knowing he was coming to our house. And I remember, like, looking out of the window to see if he had showed up yet. Then I heard his car outside. 
Then I like looked through the curtain a little bit to peek and see what he looks like. And he got out of the car, man. And all, all I can remember saying to myself, man, he looks mean. <laughs> <laughs> he had this little, he had this little baby afro and he had like this real thick mustache, you know what I mean? So I was like, man, I don't know about this dude. But he came in, man, he was great now. The thing about him, J.D., he's, he's originally from St. Vincent. So he's from the Caribbean. So football is not his thing. American football is not his thing. You know, his thing is cricket. They'll watch cricket and they'll watch soccer all day long. And so football was never the thing that he introduced me to. But what he introduced me to was the education. He was always asking me about reading and putting a book in my hand and always kind of challenging me to be a hard worker. You know, like I was telling you, me and the other big brothers would go hang out at the movies and all that type of stuff. The first place me and Seymour went, we went by his house. He had just bought a house. As a matter of fact, he was his family was still in New York and he was kind of renovating the house. He was fixing the yard and all of that stuff. So man, our first outing together was at his house working in his yard. He gave me a trash bag and a rake and we went to work, man. So JD, I'm thinking, hey man, this dude just joined the program for some free labor. You know? <laughs> That's just him, man. That's his background. He's all about, hey, you work hard. You know, because in the Caribbean, they, they weren't trying to play football to get to college like like I was. You know, they believed in books. You got to, you know, you got to really focus on the books. And so he gave me that part of it. And then my brothers and coaches, coaches like uh, Dennis Jackson, who I'm still close to now. He's a pastor here in Miami. He was a big influence on me uh, on football. Coach Smitty uh, was another guy who really was a big part of me wanting, loving the game of football. My first little league coach was actually Coach Nolan Ross. And man, he almost scared me. He almost didn't play football again. Being Why, a, too much yelling and screaming? Oh, he was so tough, man. He was so tough, but it was a tough love. But, you know, after I got through with that, man, it, you know, I fell in love with football. I wanted to do it all the time. I had football on the brain, but Seymour was always that balance for me. Hey, man, you got to get the academic part of it, too. And he would sit with my mom and they would, like, talk about what's going on with me. Is he, is he getting his homework? Is he watching TV too much? And so, you know, I was like, man, I got the wrong big brother. That's what I used to think, you know, <laughs> he's too serious. How much time would you spend with him? Once a week, twice a week? Like how involved was he in your life? When his family moved down, he had a daughter and his daughter was just a year younger than me. So we became like, almost like brother and sister. You know, we, and his wife was like a second mother. Like JD, I lived on 22nd Avenue and he lived on like 32nd Avenue, you know? So we were only like 10 blocks apart. I didn't even know he lived so close. So we were we were together quite a bit. And so he would sign me up, you know, me and his daughter was like on the bowling team together. So we would always go bowling at least once a week in the bowling league. So I saw him all the time. I saw him, he was, he was there. He was, he was always in my life. And so not having, like not seeing my mother, she didn't remarry. So I never really knew the role of a husband and a wife because I never really saw it in my household. But I paid attention to how he treated his wife. And that's kind of who I patted myself off of. And even the relationship of a father and a son, he eventually had a son and I saw how he treated his children as well as Dennis Jackson. I saw how he treated his wife and his children. And so that's kind of how I learned how to become a man because of the time that I was around them and seeing them and their love and the priority of family, the priority of relationships. That's what kind of motivated me to do what I do as far as like me now being a football coach and me now having a, uh, I have a nonprofit called Project 59 for Youth, which is uh, an educational foundation. Those really are all legacies of Seymour and of, of Dennis Jackson.
So you mentioned before your youth coach might have scared you off and you know Jimmy was kind of an, an intimidating guy. Football is obviously a, a tough sport. And anyone that knows you, and just from hearing this, and I've known you a long time, you're like as genuine and kind and almost kind of mild-mannered. So I was just thinking, did you ever think of not playing football? Like, did you ever think maybe this isn't the sport for me? I should be doing something else. Because anyone that knows you, like there are nice guys to play football, but you're like as salt of the earth, kindest dude that walks around. Did you ever think that maybe football wasn't for you? Ever since I was seven, I wanted to be a football. Yeah, I, I knew what I wanted to be. And I always, you know, like like I said, I daydreamed about it. In middle school, I remember I would finish my work and I would just start writing football plays. And I was actually practicing my autograph. I remember in the ninth grade, I was practicing my autograph. So, hey, this is what I really felt like, you know, this is what I wanted to be. Darren Smith, number 63, your, bet, your favorite <laughs> offensive lineman. Oh, man, not then. <laughs> but, no, but I always, you know, that's why it was such a dream come true for me, you know, to, to have the opportunity first to go to University of Miami. That was my first dream come true. And then to go into the NFL, like, wow, I can't believe it. And then my rookie year, you go to the Super Bowl, and I'm starting. It's like, man... This is movie stuff. But you said at the very beginning of this, you didn't. You said your goal was to play football to get to college, not the NFL. You had no. So when did you know? I wanted. I wanted to play in the NFL. I, I just didn't think I was necessarily good enough. When did that change? That actually, uh, probably my third year at Miami. You know, I registered the first year. The second year, mainly special teams, and they would let me do some a little bit. You know, when we when we started like blowing teams out, I can get in, get a little action. But then my third year, I actually. You know, played as a sophomore, registered sophomore. You know, they, I was like, man, I'm getting in here. I actually played out of us three. I was the first one to play. I played before Mike and Justin. And so I was like, well, hey, maybe, maybe they like me, you know? <laughs> uh, and then my junior year, I had a good year. I was All-American and all of that stuff. Big East player of the year. There were even some interest, like some teams were even missing me possibly coming out early. I'm like, huh, really? You know, me? I didn't always see what they saw in me. And I think sometimes it was good and bad because I guess the bad about it is you can deflate yourself. But the good was it made me work harder because I always felt like I needed to get better. And so I think it helped me. A person like me, it helped me because I always felt like, no, I got to get better. No, I got to work harder. I didn't reach where I wanted to get yet. And having teammates like Mike, Michael and Jesse, that was the best thing for me, man. We were all competitive. People were like, man, y'all was good together. We were competing against each other. You know, we, we all wanted to be the best. And it pushed us to, you know, whether it was in the weight room, in the classroom, we really worked hard really to beat each other. And it really made us each of us better. So you and Michael were in the same class and Jesse came the year after? Yeah. So me and Mike redshirted. That's the year, you know, they had Rod Carter was a senior. Randy Shannon was a senior. You had Bernard Clark. So they were stacked that middle linebacker. And then they brought in a guy, Richard Newbill, from junior college. And then they also had Maurice Crum, who was like a freshman All-American, you know, the year before. So they were pretty stacked, that linebacker. So they decided, you know, to go ahead and redshirt us all. So you come in in 88. They just won the championship. What's your welcoming like? Is there a rite of passage, you know, when you come walk into that locker room? Like Darren Smith, the freshman, comes walking into a championship locker room and you're received treated how oh man it ain't even darren smith it's just freshman <laughs> no you don't even get called by your name you don't even get that name man yeah you get you know, the first thing that happens they you know you get the haircut they cut all our hair off you get tied up to the goalpost all the all the hazing stuff that went with it when they tie you up how long they leave you there for man you had to wait for one of your friends to untie you they didn't untie you no cell phones back then you couldn't call anybody no when they when they did it like typically right after practice they would always pick somebody and tie them up, and then the rest of the guys, the freshmen, would come back because we always in the same boat. <laughs> 
But, you know, I learned a lot because Rand, Randy was a, a senior that year and Rod. And so those guys, man, like Randy was a, excellent with the film. He was great, like studying film and watching him, you know, study opponents and break down film. I learned a lot from him as far as even coverage. You know, he taught us a lot about coverage. And I think that was big. Like guys like Randy and Rod Carter, who, who taught us a lot, us young bucks, he didn't treat us like, you know, just like freshmen. He, he treated us like, hey, this is what y'all need to know. And then Maurice Crum, he was still young himself, but he was playing a lot. But he was another great guy, man. They just, they welcomed us in. It was no, you know, what no deal like, oh, y'all coming to take my job. And Bernard Clark, he he actually was my first roommate. Bernard was? Yeah, he was so cheap, man. He didn't want to live off campus. Bernard was so cheap, man. I thought you said Michael was your first roommate. No, he was my last. When we moved off campus, me and him moved off together. But Bernard Bernard was an upperclassman who was cheap and lived as a freshman. In 36. He built. He lived in building 36. He was my roommate. And then it was Kip Vickers and Diego London was in the other room. Because, you know, 36 had four guys to, a, to an apartment. Yeah, so a guy like him, man, I'm like, why is he still here, you know? Hey, man, I'm cheap, man. It saved my money, you know? He's, he's smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he also take you under his wing as well? He did. So a guy like that who you... Because you, if you remember, I think the year before, he had to substitute for Myra in the bowl game. And, you know, he was player of the year. But, you know, he worked just as hard that those following years. He led us. He was the leader. And, you know, Bernard is very loud and boisterous and very I'm-in-charge type guy. So it, it was good to have him have him there as well. Because Rod, even though Rod was a physical player and all that, Rod was really quiet. Rod Carter was a real quiet guy. But he kind of was that scary quiet. You're like, yeah, you got to watch this guy, man. He's too quiet. So you're going to snap one day. Yeah. <laughs> so who came up with the Bermuda Triangle? Oh, man. that's a, I, I'm not sure who, who came up with that. Did you guys like it? Like, was it something you guys embraced? Or is it just like fodder for us? No, we truly embraced it. Actually, we started out as the super friends or something like that. I was Flash. Michael Barrow was Bam Bam. And Jesse was Superman. That's kind of how it started. They, they they gave us those nicknames, like superheroes and stuff like that. So, But eventually it became the, the Bermuda Triangle. Running backs come in, but they don't come out. So that was kind of the saying. Do you guys play those last three years together? Yeah. Now, Jesse got hurt our senior year. So he he was in and out. No, no, no. The junior year, he got hurt. He, he hurt his knee. man. But you could just see, even when he first came in, he flashed immediately. You know, you could really see his speed and athletic ability. You guys ever race? Yeah, I, I won every race. Ah. I was, it was no competition. Oh, not, not even close. JD, really, at the time, I think it's been broken now. I had the fastest time at the combine for a linebacker. I ran a 4-4-2 at the combine on that slow turf in Indy. No, 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 I ran a 4-4-2 on my pro day. I ran like a 4-4-4 on the slow turf in Indy. So no one was catching you? No. When I was out, I was out. So I know you guys said you were competitive. I don't know Jesse very well. I know Michael well enough. That's probably as good as I know you. You and him are different personalities, so to speak. Very spiritual and faithful, but he's Mr. Exuberance, and you're a little more soft. I, we used to call him MVP, most visible person. <laughs> and what, so what was Jesse like? Isn't Jesse kind of reserved? He's, he's reserved. Jesse's a sneaky type, though, man. You got to watch. He was always the guy you got to watch. He was sneaky. Kind of like me in a sense, you know? <laughs> any deviousness in you like you get in trouble in college or anything like that like oh, me? yeah not really man i you know i uh straight and narrow pretty much pretty much why'd you guys just fit together like you said your friends you guys your long life friends right you, or we talked about this thing before we started taping stolen your lives you know you're the linebacking core it just kind of seemed to fit in all aspects right on the field off the field since college why did it work i think with me and mike in particular we was around each other a lot he was a serious student as well. 
you know, he studied accounting and I was in business. So I had, a, we had actually a lot of the same classes. Like I say, that competition, you know, sometimes we would study, you know, who, what'd you, what'd you get? What'd you, you know, so it kind of pushed us. And even in the summertime, I remember now one thing I knew about Mike, Mike did a great job of like taking care of his body, training, all that type of stuff. And I wanted to get better at it. And so, you know, one summer I just hung out with him, you know, like watched him, you know, with proteins and all, you know, all the nutrients and supplements and all that type of stuff. And so we kind of just fed off each other, gave each other, you know, advice and, and direction in a lot of ways. Um, and that's why, like you mentioned, the spiritual side of it, even then both of us was developing our spiritual side as well, growing. You know, we were young guys trying to do the right thing. He even, like, I remember one time he even, you know, vowed, made a vow of celibacy. I was like, yeah, that's impressive, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, I don't know if I'm going to beat you on that one. Mike, I like you. Go have at it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hey, yeah, you got it. You the winner. You be the winner. You, you, you can have that record. <laughs> right. So, and I think another thing, too, you know, we were roommates when Hurricane Andrew came. And if you remember, his mom, they, they were living in Homestead. And Homestead was devastated. So for a while, they actually lived with us. We had an apartment. And so it was like family. You know, it was like family. And so we became close. His mom, you know, was there with us. He had a little brother who was there with us. And so, you know, he had to take care of his family. And, you know, I was more than willing to, you know, to oblige, you know, because of the situation that they were in. And so I think we connected way more than just football. You know, we were genuinely friends. I want to come like full circle on this. I still want to get back to this, the, the quadruple double with the double major. How, how challenging was to get your undergraduate degree in three and a half years playing football? You know, actually for me, while I'm playing, I'm better at my schedule because I don't have that free time and I know I don't have the free time. I'm almost like better under pressure. So I got to hurry up and I got to make sure, you know, do things I don't. And I was the type of student, you know, I didn't follow the crowd. A lot of guys playing the video games and, you know, wasting time. I would go to the library. I would study. But that was part of the mission, you know. And so the same way I was on football as far as trying to take care of my body, training and doing those things, I did it on the academic side as well. Most people were taking 15 hours. I took 18 hours. And they were like, you sure you want to take 18 hours? Uh, yeah, I'm, I can do it. I can get it done. Also, that first year, they allowed us to go to summer school. So I took a couple of classes in summer school. Like the second session, when guys started coming back, but I took like real summer classes, like, you know, classes I needed to graduate. And so that worked out for me. You know, it just was some sacrifice, but it was well, well worth it. it you know, really the interesting part was when I got into graduate school, because it's, it's really different than undergrad, because graduate school is so much more of like real life work or group work. You know, you got to actually go out and talk to businesses when you're when you're like writing your thesis and you're putting all your information together. But it was a lot of group work, which I thought was good too. And it was a little intimidating for me because I'm coming in, I'm a football player. Many of the people who were in class were like people who were coming back to school. They were like business people who came back to earn a, a master's because they want to move up in, in the corporate ladder. And I was just in a total different space you know what I mean so I didn't I didn't have a lot of the life experience that many of them had I'm still you know I'm just leaving football practice because a lot of those classes are at night as well but it was fun and I learned a lot I got exposed to a lot and I met a lot of different people and so it was really good for me I really enjoyed um graduate school what's the year that Barrow hit Vanover 89 or 91 or maybe it's 92 I think it's 92 actually yeah I think that was 92 are you on the field for that play? Like, where are you in that? Everyone talks about that. Oh, man. You know what? I'm going to tell you, J.D., we were watching film because that, that was one of their plays. That's what he always says. That's what Mike always says. Yeah. And Mike was studying and he was telling us, hey, look, this is what that guy do. And this happens every time they run that play. 
it's like it was a dream. He said it was like a dream. He saw it. He saw what the tackle always does. He saw what the quarterback always does. Vanover was in the right position. So he knew what was coming. And he just trusted his film study. And that's why he was able to. So I was there too. So when he hit him like that, I went crazy. I don't know. If you watch the highlight, you're going to see me jumping all over him like that because I knew that he was waiting for that play. <laughs> so I knew what he was going to do when that, when that time came. I went crazy. He went crazy. Jesse was saluting. Everybody was going crazy. So that was a heavy-hitting game. If you remember, I think Marvin Jones hit Larry Jones pretty hard that game, too. We had, we, and, uh, we had some hard hits going on in that game. Did you ever play in a harder-hitting game than a game against Florida State? Not until I got to the NFL, but that game was <laughs> – that, that game was a good, that was a good physical game. And that that's when you really, you know, we respect each other, but, you know, but honestly, you know, a lot of it, we don't like each other, but we really do respect each other. So that, that was a lot of pride, you know, going into that game right there. How come no one talks about your 91 game, man? 18 tackles, Florida State. Why don't we hear enough about that? We should hear more about that game. I agree with you, bro. I'm sure you do. <laughs> hey, and let me tell you a little bit about that, because the, the week before, I missed the game. I had, like, bursitis in my hip. And bursitis just is like a, you have a sack, a sack in your joints and it got full of fluid. And so they had to drain the fluid out, but I had to miss, I think we, I think we were playing Kansas the week before. And my good friend, Derek Golden, who's also a really good friend of mine. I'm actually his children, godparents. He's my children, godparents. I can't believe I didn't bring him up earlier, but Derek Golden is a, is a, is a really close friend of mine. And he got a chance to start that game. Then the next week in Tallahassee, if you see, if you watch that game, you'll see I'm wearing some orange tights under my pants. But that was just to keep my hip warm because I had some other, some other gadget like wrapping my hips up. So to make 18 tackles with a bad hip, brother, man, you got to give it to me, you know. And I, and I think part of it was probably the drama at the end kind of pulls away from it because you know we got we had the big drive at the end to take the lead, and then we had to fight. Are you on field goal block? Are you field goal block? I was out there, man. I got a thigh bruise to prove it. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was, I'm the guy that kind of tries to slice in to draw the block so that the outside guy could. Darrell Williams was the outside guy who was trying to block it, and so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do all I can to get to that to make that thing, you know, go away. So. All right, so ni- 1990 is the Cotton Bowl, right? Yeah, yeah. If I were to lay a bet of all the thousand penalties that were called on UM, not one was called on you. You did not draw a penalty in that game, did you? Not one. You could not. You're not like that. Well, it was actually some of the penalties that I did see were unnecessary. They were they weren't right. I remember Mark Caesar got a sack and he was trying to step over the quarterback and the quarterback tried to get up at the same time. No, it was Kenny Lopez and he almost like fell just trying to get up and they called a flag on that. So it was just like they were they were hyper flag. But I don't understand like you were going to be in that you were going to be any part of that. That wasn't you. Well, I mean, it wasn't like we were fighting anything. Now, I did walk out to the front. You remember, we came out of the tunnel first. And that week was a week where Texas was just... Oh, no. We had Dennis on this. There were there was some something going on in the newspaper at the... You guys went to some event before the game or the sent, the governor said something, right? Something like that? It was just crazy. I mean, it was it was crazy from the time we landed and they gave us cotton, you know, as uh, something. I mean, I'm like... I know this is a cotton bowl, but mm, I don't know if this insensitive, is... Insensitive. A little insensitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were at this barbecue together. Probably wasn't the best place for us to be together. You know what I mean? But now I'll tell you what happened. What did happen, too. They got intimidated at that event because they had a band playing. And the band took a break. And we got on stage. Now, I didn't. I was just watching from a distance. And we cut up on that stage, man. We, they were acting like they were playing the band and the instruments and all of that stuff. 
And I think from that day, Texas, they lost the game right there at that event. They were intimidated. Stan Thomas was their lineman. He tried to come and try to make them seem tough. All that did was make, make Russell Maryland mad. And he ended up being the first pickoff of that game because he, he destroyed Stan Thomas. So, but yeah, part of those penalties was a lot of emotion because it was really pent up. We knew we weren't going to win a national championship. We were so close, but we knew the numbers just didn't look right for us. And we ended up number three that year, I believe, just from a bad loss early that year against BYU. We knew we were a better team and we having to play Texas. You know, like this is what we have to kind of settle for. It was freezing cold, you know, but but we had, a, you know, I had a good game. We had a tough guy, Butch had not with their running back. I was able to get me one, take it back to the house. But in that season, right, that's the start of a, a 29. You didn't lose a game for 29 games. Now is the last one is the one that snapped at Alabama. The Sugar Bowl. Yeah. Crazy, right? So I, I go out on my last one is a loss. I, uh, that was rough, man. So I asked this to everybody. Does that still pain you? Like, do you still ha hold that game? It's like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, damn, should I had another one? Oh, absolutely. Man, we would have, I would have had three national championships. That's that Alabama dynasty type of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Back then. So we would have been like the team of whatever. But the worst part about it is I go to Dallas and a few years later, I'm at Dallas. This free agent comes in to join the team. His name is George T. Oh, you no. Know? So I'm looking at George T. like, that's the guy? You know, I'm like disappointed. I was just expecting to see Superman or, you know, he's just like a little scrawny guy. Wasn't, wasn't even fast. I still don't understand how he caught Lamar. Because, you know, in practice, he wasn't very fast at all. But he was a smart player. He was a good player. I, I'm, I'm just messing around with George. But he laid it on me, man, all the time. And he reminded me constantly, man. Him and Derek Lassett. Because Derek Lassett was drafted in the third round that year. And he was the running back that beat us that year, so. All right, buddy, listen, man, you were awesome. I think we exhausted an entire episode, so you, this is not going to be the quintuple double, but we got you the triple double, two rings, two championships, two Super Bowls, two degrees, twins. Yeah. So we did it right. You told great stories. I told you to bring your A game. You delivered. It was great seeing you. Great touching base. Always, always love catching up with you, buddy. You're the best. And thanks for doing this. Hey, man, my pleasure, man. Appreciate you, bro.